Well, good day, good day. It is a chilly day out there, regardless of what time or day you're listening to this. I'm telling you, it is cold outside, but it's warm in here. Warm because of the bodies that we have brought together in close proximity, and warm because of the hot topics we're going to discuss on issue 22 of Which Car Weekly, the podcast that brings you all of the greatest motoring topics and simultaneously the greatest motoring minds from the offices of Bauer Media. Today, you have for your sins myself, Daniel Gardner, but I am joined at close proximity, perhaps probably too close. I'm saying, you know, personal space violated by, as he frequently does, the fabulous Tony O'Kane, senior writer at Which Car Tony? You flatter me so. Hello. Thank you for being with us. And also, we have gathered another great mind with us again, his second uh, uh, attendance on Which Car Weekly, I believe, the wonderful Alex Ray, uh, online editor of Wheels Magazine. Thank you, Daniel. That is correct. My second appearance. No, no. The pleasure is all ours or yours, depending on whether you like to think of things in second or third person. On today's show, the Povo de Premium Revolution continues navigating the track day minefield and the SUV equivalent of a nose job. What does all that mean? We are going to spend the next 30 minutes explaining exactly what we mean. And to kick things off, we're going to start talking about a Volkswagen. Not a just any Volkswagen. It is the, the halo, the hero, the flagship of Volkswagen's SUV range, the new Touareg that launched uh, very recently in a place I like to call Tasmania. And Tony was there. Tell yes. us all about it, Tony. I was there. And, oh boy, the uh, Touareg certainly has gotten fancy uh, in this third-generation model. Uh, there's only one available right now, and it's kind of not exactly what I'd call cheap. Retail starts at 89000 It's called the Touareg Launch Edition. Uh, oh, cryptic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder why they gave it that yeah. name. Uh, however, balancing all that out is a fit-out that is really incredibly close to luxury. If you think of Volkswagen as a mainstream brand, we'll hop in this thing and that might change your mind right okay so how does one determine whether the fine line between luxury and what isn't luxury has been crossed well that's an interesting question because it's largely Thank subjective that's isn't it? all i do <laughs> yes are yeah, interesting yeah. questions this is which car weekly damn you <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it is subjective, and uh, a lot of it comes down to the, the things that we call perceived value, the things of, you know, are the, the touch points, um, are they soft, you know, do, does, does the car smell nice? That can, that can influence everything, but also the design of it, what it looks like, um, where everything's placed around the cabin. Uh, does it do things differently? Well, yeah, it, it does. It looks really slick. If you get the, the optional uh, infotainment package, which has a gigantic... 15-inch, would you believe, 15-inch touchscreen as your infotainment display. That is massive, isn't it? It's, it's huge. That's bigger than most iPads. Yeah. That's, that's getting onto Tesla territory. Uh, yeah, and obviously oriented in a portrait fashion rather than Tesla's, um, rather, sorry, the uh, uh, landscape fashion rather than the Tesla's portrait. Which is stupid. Um, <coughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a I was just clearing my throat. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, this Volkswagen screen is huge. It's functional. Uh, maybe the only thing that I don't like about it is that it replaces the um, physical buttons for the ventilation controls. If you don't have that screen, you actually get traditional buttons. And I think that kind of works better for that kind of function. But everything else is super slick. Wow. So the Touareg really has gone premium. Yeah. The problem is premium rivals. And they're not shy about comparing this car to things like 
the GLE class, the BMW X5, and the they X. They are strong oh, contenders in this segment. Yeah, absolutely, and the X5 in particular is a great car. You jump inside of that, and the interior of that thing just looks like a million dollars. And uh, given that it's it's not all that different in terms of price, obviously when you adjust for spec, the Volkswagen has better value, but. Yeah, it's not quite at, at at BMW levels in terms of opulence just yet, but geez, it's getting real close. And that is the reason we wanted to talk about that. We, we're using the Touareg to, to spark a, a greater mm. conversation because it's one that's actually started a couple of episodes ago. Um, it's not the first affordable manufacturer, and I use that in big air commas, that is going really, really hard at the premium and luxury audience. Yeah. Um, we the, the really the car that started this conversation for us is the Mazda three, which pr- traditionally has competed in the affordable end of the spectrum, particularly with its Mazda three uh, hatchback and sedan. But now the latest incarnation is incredibly good, and again, as you say, Tony, it is bordering on luxury. So now Volkswagen's at it as well mm-hmm. for a price that is not you know it's incremental, it's grown, but it's not you know up there with premium money. Yeah, and Volkswagen kind of has prior form with this with the uh, the Arteon. That's another car that uh, Ooh, yeah. really plays the middle class fancy game really well. It's uh, a really attractive fastback sedan, if if you can call it that. But it just looks great inside and out, and it's well equipped and it goes goes fantastically on the road. They're doing really well in terms of elevating mainstream to the premium level. Um, again, not at the same level as luxury because of course they are moving forward as well um but yeah if you compared it to a luxury car from maybe 10 years or maybe even more recently than that they compare very favorably right two questions for you then the Mm -hmm. first one is are people buying it and the second question is are people buying it they (laughs) sound like the same question don't they but they're actually different when i say are people buying it in the first question are people believing what volkswagen is trying to do are they picking up the perceived value and second of all are people buying it? Which is actually, are people going out there and putting their cash down on, on these vehicles, which appear to be a more premium offering these days? Well, I think, yeah, as, as for the question of, are people buying it? You know, I'm sure you know which one <laughs> I'm, I'm so referring to. you're embracing my joke, Tony. Thank you very much. It's like... Your terrible wordplay um, yeah, is <laughs> welcomed by me. Confusing for everyone else. Every but... day in the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> but no, I, I think the, the challenge there is, do people see... Uh, a brand like Mazda or Volkswagen as being on even pegging with luxury brands or close to given the prices, um, especially in the Tuareg's case that they're asking for. I don't think so. I I don't think it will be um, a popular choice at that level. Obviously, there will be more affordable versions of the Tuareg coming later this year. We don't know how much or what they'll have in terms of um, their equipment, Um, but they will be more affordable. And I think people will probably gravitate towards them because $90,000 for a Volkswagen SUV is still quite a lot, especially considering it's not a three-row. It's still a five-seater. Uh, and that kind of holds it back when you're up against things like the Toyota Land Cruiser, which is a huge car, costs similar money, and can carry up to seven people. Is it just a slow burn, though? Is this something that Volkswagen can achieve? Can it eventually convince people to buy in, in larger numbers a near $100,000 SUV? I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the example that immediately jumps to mind is the Stinger. The mm-hmm. Kia Stinger. I mean, who would have thought that people would slap down, what is it, 70 grand for the, the one you want? Mm. Um, the Stinger, you know, the 3.3 3. 3 twin turbo V6. Who would have thought, even just five years ago, that people would be willing to pay that much 
for a car that wears a Kia badge. It is possible. Yeah. But what does it take? Cars like these definitely change the discussion about the brand but i think in the case of volkswagen they have to be careful to not tread on the toes of audi you know they they exist in this group of of brands and audi is definitely above uh, volkswagen volkswagen you could i guess consider as a feeder brand into audi ownership um whereas mazda is in a different situation because they don't have to play that game they don't have these internal politics that might Mm. restrict them um and the interesting thing with Mazda is we had the announcement that they're, they're going to be making a rear-wheel drive platform and a straight-six engine, and those are the kinds of things that you only really see in the luxury segment these days. And uh, that that's quite interesting for that particular brand. Um, but yeah, it'd be very fascinating to see how it plays out. For me, then, it presents another question. If Volkswagen, traditionally a more affordable brand, is now going up market, does that create a bit of a vacuum at the very bottom end of the market where it used to occupy and compete for other brands to perhaps take its position? Potentially, but again, it sort of goes the other way with the Volkswagen Group. They have Skoda sitting below Volkswagen as the more um, value-oriented um, solution. But even that, though, I mean, Skoda is perhaps the best example of how a brand can go from mm. one you simply would never consider even... Mm. Uh, putting on your worst enemy to, to a proposition which is actually wow. really commendable. Seriously, I mean, the Skodas we're talking about while they were still Oh, it's under, come a long way. I yeah. absolutely agree. Um, I mean, even that, I would say, is Skoda is, a, is, you know, there's premium elements to that brand. You know, look at the, the build quality, the interior design, it's simple hmm. but really effective. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I can just see an opportunity for a... What I'm getting at here is perhaps there is a... Um, uh, an assassin waiting in the wings, spying <laughs> on VW's position in the market. Perhaps it's Chinese. Perhaps, Perhaps it's Chinese. Chinese. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe it's, uh, well, I, I suspect the next brand to take that kind of position might be Kia. Kia's got some interesting aspirations, especially when it comes to design. And they've been sort of pushing design as being their USP for quite a while. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of became the new Volkswagen or, or at least the Asian Volkswagen in terms of being, um, you know, good value, yet you, you'd you love to have one parked in your driveway because they just look so good. Does there become a, a sort of a battle where, obviously Volkswagen doesn't want to completely vacate that end of the market. It still wants to offer cars that are affordable. Um, you know, not everyone that likes the Volkswagen brand has 90 grand to spend on their flagship SUV. Yeah. It still wants to keep one foot in that area. So perhaps there's going to be a new battle playing out, not one at the premium end, where, yes, arguably, arguably there is a lot of competition, mm. but room for competition. Mm. Maybe now the, the fiercer battle is, is actually at the affordable end, where Volkswagen doesn't want to completely lose its, its stake there, but others will be competing for it. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how they price these, these uh, more affordable Touareg variants and to see how the, the public reacts to, to the, Volkswagen, the, the Touareg range as a whole once that full family arrives here. Um, but yeah, interesting times. One final question uh, regarding the uh, Tuareg launch, which was in Tasmania. Yes. How much do you think Volkswagen had to pay for snow during the launch? <laughs> I mean, this this could yeah. not have played out any better oh, yeah. for Volkswagen. They're launching their premium, comfortable <laughs> SUV, and it snows. It's the, I mean, that's just that's just perfect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, the venue was um, Lake St. Clair, uh, very high up. Um, clear lake in the middle of Tasmania, very beautiful. I'm sure they they chose it for that exact reason, but even they weren't expecting snow at this time of year. Um, But 
you know, great environment for testing a, an SUV. Like the amount of times that I have been able to engage snow mode uh, while totally. reviewing a car in Australia um, is a big fat zero. It's just <laughs> it's just rare to have that on a launch, but but great. And also, yeah, the the photos that we got out of that were fantastic. It's um, it really did not look like Australia, to be honest. It looked like we were um, overseas somewhere. But uh, yeah, nice touch. The uh, Povo to Premium Revolution. It's not expected to slow down or stop anytime soon. Mm. And as soon as someone else jumps on the bandwagon, we'll be sure to bring it to you on Which Car Weekly. Before we go any further, gentlemen, I'd like to remind you that you have one more opportunity to catch an episode of Which Car on your televisions this Sunday, coming to your screens, courtesy of Channel 10, at some point in the afternoon. What time is it, Tony? Today. No, what time is it on Sunday afternoon? Were you not listening to a word I said? <laughs> you really? You I try not weren't. to. I know that look of you when you glaze it's over your board of my... It's okay. 3.30. 3.30 this Sunday afternoon, Channel 10. Uh, the final episode of Witch Car on your televisions. It is a special version where we look back at all of our favourite moments. Uh, and you'll also get a chance to see some of the bloopers and outtakes, which... I would frankly prefer you didn't, but, you know, that's television. So, uh, yes, Channel 10 Sunday Afternoons. And if you fail to catch that one, you can see the last four episodes on 10Play. Or, how about this for an idea? Head to the website, whichcar.com.au, and see them all in all their glory there. Please do. Now then, from one SUV to another, but a very different kind, the fabulous Alex Ray, or A. Ray, as people have taken to calling him. I'm not sure whether he likes that. No, there are a lot of Alexes in the office. No one's asked him if he actually Too likes many. it. Do you like A. Ray? Uh, I've been forced to enjoy it. Oh, <laughs> diplomatic, but also kind of disappointing. <laughs> uh, you were, I'm sure those wounds were, are soothed by the fact that you had a trip to Austria recently to drive a new Porsche. Someone's got to do it. You were there to drive the KN Coupe. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this is, let's just kick off with a little bit about the car. What is it and uh, what was it like? Sure. Um, well, the Cayenne Coupe is quite simply the Coupe body style version of the Cayenne SUV that we know and love that's been around uh, for many years now. Um, and it joins other German rivals, really, in uh, the whole SUV Coupe look. Um, historically, it's been more about style over substance with those kind of cars, um, tapping into sort of sporty look. Personally, not a big fan, haven't been a big fan Ooh. Well, I just think SUVs, they're cars that should prioritise practicality for family, boot space, not shaving headroom and things like that. Um, and, and just personally, I haven't really enjoyed the look of them. However, that said, the Porsche, uh, it, it works for me. I think they've done a good job with the styling. The rear end looks, for me, a bit better than the normal kind. It's also a Porsche. They do sports cars. And the way that they have packaged the car is very smart mm -hmm. um, in that... You're not really sacrificing a heap of practicality in the back of the car, but it looks better and it goes a little bit better as well. There are some very interesting changes on that vehicle. Ones that stood out to me were that you can cost option delete the sound insulation from the Cayenne. You can't <laughs> do that to a normal Cayenne. Yes, you can do that on the coupe version to make it lighter and more noisy, which is this paradoxical thing with the... SUV coupe, right? So that's so bizarre. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> no, because everyone wants to take their family SUV to the track. Well, this is—I mean—they're they're pushing, they're pushing, they're trying to elevate the coupe version as being yet yeah, a genuine, more sporty car. It's not just about the look. Um, you know, it's actually got a wider track. They've got carbon fiber roof, so it takes the weight off the top of the car. Lower center of gravity, um, two seats rather than three in the rear. Sound insulation delete. 
Um, so, okay. They're not leaving a lot on the table for the <laughs> seemingly eventual GT3 version of the game. <laughs> the GT5, yeah. <laughs> so that's really interesting. So uh, that was going to be one of my questions. Is it Have they done anything to this model other than just chamfering a bit off of its tail to make it a new model? And, uh, and it seems like they have wider track. I mean, that's also another really good statement of intent. You know, wider track is inherently done for better stability, cornering, better speed. lateral stability. Yeah. Um, look, we're probably splitting hairs, to be honest. Um, if the Cayenne Coupe, particularly the turbo that um, we drove over there, that's a really fast car. It's really capable on the track, flat-footed. You'd hassle a lot of small cars around a racetrack in that car. The Coupe doesn't feel that much different. It is, can be a little bit lighter with the right options. Um, it has got that wider track. Uh, you'd have to drive them side by side to absolutely tell. Um, maybe it's a bragging point. I'm not too sure. The sound insulation delete baffles me in a way. Oh, that was that a great pun? That was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Baffle. Glad oh you got God, that. Oh, we're full awesome. of puns. All the best here. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Um, you know, why have... Again, it's, it's this thing, you know, family practicality, why have a car that you can take the sound insulation out of? It's a $250,000 vehicle um, premium SUV. I suspect it was a mistake. They had a pre-production <laughs> version on the launch that was really rattly and noisy, and they suddenly realised that they had forgotten, forgotten to put sound insulation on the production line, and thought, "How can we dig our way out of this?" Oh, by the way, uh, that is a fantastic option you can have on this car. It makes it lighter, <laughs> and you can appreciate the engine note a little bit more. See, Definitely. why am I not in marketing? How and then they charge you for smooth it. bluff. And yeah. then they charge you more. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. And make money out of it. So there you go. And now it's stuck. <laughs> um, that is really extraordinary. So less car for more. That's t- and that really, in essence, is is carries on the theme of these SUV coupes. Is you're getting you're paying more for less car, less headroom, less boot space. Mm. Um, I like to call them the nose job of the motoring world. You know, you've got you it's a you make you, you well, yeah, exactly. Well, it's its profile is less desirable in many cases in full SUV form. So you go to the plastic surgeon and you get that little unsightly ridge on your nose taken off. There's less there, costs you an arm and a leg and a nose, and suddenly you're prettier. That's what they are doing to SUVs. They've created something ugly and now they are calling on the skills of a plastic surgeon to, to correct their and mistake. We, we know how that works in Hollywood. It doesn't mean you always come out into the daylight prettier. Exactly, exactly. Just and then, and then, and then you know what? It's a slippery slope. These people—they're addicted. Next, they'll be doing Botox in a Porsche. They'll be giving it false boobs. That's what happens. It's a slippery slope, and we're destined for uglier cars as a result. However, have I taken this analogy too far? Well, maybe. But okay. I have a—I have a question for A Ray. Is this then? It sounds very much like the the KN Coupe is pretty close to the mythical Swiss Army knife that we all kind of lust after. The car that can do everything. You know, carry your family around, take it to Bunnings, uh, dominate it at a track day if you really want to, um, and just be generally nice to drive. Do you, is, is that close to the mark? Yeah, it's close to the mark. Um, you, you can't get away from the fact that it weighs 2.2 tonnes. So that's... Wow. That is heavy Land Cruiser how levels is, of weight. Yeah. How and, is it so expensive? To, hang on. The standard KN is... Under two tons, just under two thousand one hundred and seventy-five for the turbo. Oh, for the turbo, okay. And right. two thousand two hundred for the turbo Cayenne Coupe. However, with the lighter carbon fiber roof and the sound insulation delete and the lightweight alloy wheels and the other carbon fiber bits, it it weighs less. Right. Zero to one hundred and three point nine seconds. How much? Right. How much does the sound um, insulation delete actually reduce? Uh, three and a half kilos. <laughs> 
they they didn't have one of those to test. Damn. Surprisingly enough. This is so the refinement seemed pretty good. This has automatically become the <laughs> most anticipated car for me for the whole of 2019. I want to drive the Cayenne Coupe with no sound insulation. Yeah. I don't care. Ferraris, I mean, it's nothing. It doesn't compare with a, with a loud Cayenne Coupe now. Absolutely. I went I went into it not being a huge fan of Cayenne Coupes, I thought, of Coupe SUVs, and I thought, okay, yep, we'll check this out. Saw it in the metal. Okay, that's my favourite SUV Coupe. I would actually have it over the normal Cayenne. And then, uh, yeah, found out about the sound insulation delete and thought, this is a very interesting car. It's, as you say, it's not just, okay, let's make a coupe version. They've thought about how to engineer it a bit different, how to make it appeal more for that sort of sporty driver. Perhaps that can't have a, a 911 and a Cayenne. They can just have one car and the family's saying, you're not going to tow us to school in the back of a 911. One final <laughs> question on the subject then. We're talking about this. I like the point you raised, Tony, you know, the, the Swiss Army knife of cars, the one car to do it all. The, the sort of family with the budget to buy a Porsche SUV doesn't have one car. Yeah. So why do you thing. need one car that does it all? Yeah. They can have several. Exactly. That do several things so very well. That's what the good chaps at Porsche tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of, if, if you could make a Cayenne Coupe for $35,000, sure. That could mm. feasibly be the only car you ever need. Yeah. But it's kind of, it, it totally falls at the final hurdle when it comes to pricing. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> no deal. No deal. Yeah. It, was, it was your most anticipated car of the year, and now I don't want to see it. <laughs> I, can, I can be a little fleeting. Talked I'm, yourself I'm out a, of it. I'm a fickle kind of person. I mean, if you've been listening to 22 episodes and you haven't worked that out already, then I'm afraid you're missing something. <laughs> We have to move on, because I would like to talk about something that is completely... Well, I don't know. It does touch on this ever so slightly. Tony is hmm. a bit of a dark horse around the office. Oh. He's quiet and collected. And Am I? Generally, no. Oh. He, you know, most of the time keeps himself... You Call know, you the smiling assassin behind your back. <laughs> but on the weekend, he likes to put on dresses. No, it's not that. <laughs> he is a track day enthusiast. He has... A very highly developed vehicle that he's owned for many, many years. And it is not uncommon for Tony to hit the road, go off to Winton or some other track somewhere, and drive like an absolute maniac to try and shave tenths of a second off his personal best time. For me, it sounds absolutely <laughs> senseless. But I want to talk to Tony about, if you're if you're thinking of doing a track day, your first, um, as I have pondered the idea occasionally, I find it rather daunting. I would like Tony to take us through... Perhaps just a sort of cursory look, a, a definitive guide to the beginner's look at track days. Mm. Yes, well, track days. If you ever take a look at your bank account and decide that, yeah, you've got just too much money. <laughs> Becoming a track day enthusiast is a great way to lighten the load. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's <laughs> the first question then. I'll say that uh, first off. Yeah, it, it's not a cheap hobby, but for the diehard car enthusiasts out there, it's really the only way that you can get the full appreciation of your car and work it to its absolute limit in safety and with complete legality and for that that that's why i do it just to get that release and in terms of costs well it really it's it's variable it depends on which operator you go for which which club is putting on an event or where the track is um it's highly variable the track days i do are at a, a country racetrack out in central victoria called winton and um with the group that i do it it's usually about about two hundred dollars per day okay so that's actually 
that sounds on the on the face of it very affordable, but I'm sure there are plenty of other associated costs. Well, yeah, funny you mentioned that because <laughs> <laughs> making sure your car is track day ready is where the real costs can mount up. Right, and, and this is just without you know going into the the aftermarket modifications, you know, going into catalogs and buying parts and getting them installed and getting your car tuned and all that stuff. For a stock standard car, you still have prep costs associated with it, and the biggest one. You need to make sure your car is maintained well. Basic servicing, um, obviously every car should should have that taken mm-hmm, care of, yeah. but especially if you want to take it on a track because track work works your car very hard, everything, um, and especially cooling. Cooling is paramount. So you want to make sure your, your cooling system is up to scratch, that your coolant is fresh, um, that all the uh, heat exchangers um, work well. And uh, beyond that, you also want to make sure that your brakes are, are functioning well, that you're going to have enough brake pad to last throughout the day, but also that the brake pad is going to be suitable for what you're doing. There's a lot of street cars out there, um, even performance cars with brake pads that really don't stand up to the heat generated yeah. by track work. So you want to have a look into that as well. Um, for those, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be listening right now, and the question on all the tips of their tongues is, what car have you got, Tony? You haven't told us what, what your, your uh, weapon some of old, choice is. Some old Nissan. I've got a 1993 ZX. It's actually my first car. Um, That's cute. Yeah, it, it turned from being a daily driver into a bit of a project, a bit of a garage queen. Um, it only exits the garage basically for track days and the occasional drive to work. Um, that's about it. And when so. he does, we can hear him as he leaves home. Yes, please don't tell the police about my exhaust. <laughs> Great. Um, so you've taken it to... You, this car has been continually developed over the years that you've been doing this kind of thing. It's yep. now got no interior left. Um, you've 3D, oh, some you've 3D printed some parts for its interior. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a hobby, you know? It keeps me busy. It keeps me from um, being on the streets and robbing 7-Elevens and things like that. Which you've done Idle a hands, fair share of before you got into track Well, days. before I got this car, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See? See, cars, they, yeah. They, huh. they, they can really steer people back onto the straight and narrow. They're the answer to all uh, society's ills. So what I'm fascinated, when you get to these kind of, these, I mean, it's not exactly like a car club, but when you get, when you gather people together with mm-hmm. similar interests, yes, you always get this funny cross-section of a demographic. And what I'm really fascinated about is what kind of people go to a track day? Yeah, it, it's interesting. And again, variable, depending on um, what particular gang or crew is is organising the uh, the thing. Not an actual gang, you know, I'm not like, it's not like the <laughs> not Bloods like, and the Crips. Yeah, it's not when you did over 7-Elevens again, is it? <laughs> oh, no, yeah the good old days um but no you, you do get this kind of microcosm of of automotive um enthusiasts and that that kind of crowd and you get guys like me who just want to track their car no matter what it is uh and have spent a lot of money and time doing that and a lot of uh you know covered in grease on, the, on their backs in their garage uh, on mm. cold nights, it's lovely. That's my idea of fun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, you get just regular people who are giving it a try, who've maybe um, been curious about driving fast, faster than is legally permissible on a public road, and uh, just want to give it a shot. And because you don't have to modify your car at all if you don't want to. No, no, not at all. You just turn up in an absolute stock. It's not and like I'm... other forms of motorsport where there's basic stipulations, roll cage, fire extinguisher, yeah. that kind of thing, which of course is recommended if you're going to do this seriously. Yeah, if if you're going to be in competition, then you definitely need a higher level of stand, of, of safety equipment. Yeah. Um, however, like I, I thoroughly recommend if you're thinking of going to your first track day, resist the temptation to modify your car because that is going to introduce points of failure. Right. Okay. <laughs> when when these car companies develop cars, they design them to withstand a lot of punishment more than you would you would think. Yeah. Um. So keep it stock. 
it will probably be reliable and get you home afterwards. And you'll learn a lot just through driving fast. You won't have to worry about, oh, my, are my brake modifications going to uh, leave me sitting in a tire wall or what? Um, so yeah, resist that temptation. But also another person that you, you do tend to get at track days is the, the guy who's just spent a lot of money on a new performance car and they just want to go nuts. Right. And okay. you, you, got, you can ID them pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Try to keep clear of them. Sure. Okay. <laughs> because they can usually be a, a little bit of a loose cannon spinning off and, you know, driving dangerously or whatever. So keep an eye out. But otherwise, I find usually the track day crowd is pretty sensible. It's not, it's not hoons at all. Um, definitely not. These are the responsible people who don't hoon on the streets. They and save it for the right environment. The other thing that you have realised over your years of attending track days mm. is uh, doesn't just regard the development of your car. It also developed. You've also developed a very special technique in catering, haven't you, Tony? <laughs> uh, yeah, because track day food is is generally terrible and expensive because there's no other restaurant within like a 50-kilometer radius. Uh, you kind of have to go to the kiosk. Um, I've started bringing a sandwich press to right, you have <laughs> to the pits. But you don't just tote sandwiches in this sandwich press, do you? No, man. I'm full gourmet. Tony has found... Please tell us some of... What's on the menu? Tony has found a way... Tony's found the fact that a sandwich toaster, because it has two opposed heated plates, that it can cook virtually anything. Yeah, and surprisingly well. But you're uh, not just cooking sandwiches. No, not not sandwiches. I think I've cooked fewer sandwiches on a sandwich press than I have other types of food uh, at this point. Um, burgers are on the menu for this uh, this weekend. I've got my burger Lovely. meat and everything. Yeah. Uh, I've also got some chicken nuggets in case I want a snack. <laughs> <laughs> you cook chicken nuggets very respectably. Um, steak. I've done steak before. No, come on. Like really nice, medium rare That's throughout. Amazing. Oh man, it's uh, it's good. I love it. So there you go. Yeah. If you happen to take the plunge and attend a track day, and you you detect the unmistakable fragrance mm. of a three course meal, starting with lobster bisque onto <laughs> ostrich steaks and finishing with a creme brulee, you know it's Tony O'Kane with his Nissan whipping up a quick bit of catering for him and his yeah. Mates. Come on over, say hi. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It is time for us to say cheerio for another week. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Witch Car Weekly will be back again next week. Tune in to all of our other 21 episodes prior to this one. And if you want to stay up to date with all the motoring facts and news between now and the next time you hear our lovely voices, you can head to witchcar.com.au where you'll find all our social media channels. And how's this for an idea? Pick up a mag because we still do something called print media. Not many people mm. do, and it's glorious. We My name this. is Daniel Gardner. Thank you to Tony O'Kay and the A-Ray, Alex Ray, also known as. Uh, in another seven days, you'll hear from us again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>